0: Hello and welcome to EuroActives Agrifood Podcast. I'm Paula Andres. And I'm Natasha Foote. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from EuroActive Agrifood Team. This week, Parliament votes
1: cause controversy and environmental exemptions in the CAP. Did they live up to their promises? So hello and welcome back to another episode of the Euroactive Agrifood Brief. So this week, well last week actually, there's been some pretty interesting votes going on in the Parliament. Multiple committees involved here. We've got some MEPs from the Agriculture Committee, from the Environment Committee, even the Fisheries Committee, which is Paola's favourite.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. favourite thing. <laughs> did you know
1: that? <laughs> I'm not forgetting it. I'm looking at you right in the eye. I'm not forgetting the fisheries. Don't you worry. Don't we you worry. We keep an
0: eye on you. We're keeping an eye
1: on you. <laughs> um, and as they often do, these votes caused a little bit of controversy. So maybe we'll go in chronological order. So what was the first vote last week that caused mm-hmm. a bit of controversy? Paula, you were reporting on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened? Give us the lowdown.
0: Yeah, so the first vote uh, was on the nature restoration law and uh, the favourite proposal I think from uh, (laughs) (laughs) One of the
1: ones that's causing a lot of contention at the moment. It is Uh,
0: So it was voted on Tuesday in the Agri Committee and Mm -hmm. on Wednesday in the PESH, the Fisheries Committee, Um, and the outcome was the same. Uh, Both uh, committees voted uh, to reject uh, this uh, proposal from the Commission. Completely rejection. Uh, complete rejection. Complete rejection. We don't want it. Right. Uh, exactly. And well, what this law wanted uh, aimed was at uh, restoring uh, degraded land and reverse biodiversity loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, uh, the groups that voted uh, against, um, against the proposal to reject this. Which is confusing. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a thing you have to twist. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: there was so the opinion said they were going to reject it, and they exactly. voted in favor of the opinion, which rejected exactly. the law. Exactly. Right? exactly. Yeah, that did take me a minute to get my head but around. as well. Same,
0: yeah. same. And I think also for some, uh, for some lawmakers, it was also a bit confusing uh, <laughs> during <Yeah>. the vote, <laughs> which was a bit funny. Um, but yeah, so well, it's funny, but I mean,
1: some of them genuinely seem confused about what they were voting on, which is a which is a
0: You think a, we could repeat the vote? Repeat the vote. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't I don't, oh I don't know. I'm not gonna get into that exactly. speculation. But there was a bit of confusion, wasn't there, following this vote? Yes,
0: yes. Who debated um, what and why and all kinds of things? Well, uh the confusion at the moment was uh, because uh there were voting amendments as well, mm-hmm. uh to this to this opinion and uh, yeah, I think there was just a generalized uh, uh What is uh, what are we doing now? Uh, (laughs) But I had the chance to speak to 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 Clara Aguilera, Mm -hmm. uh, the Socialist um, MEP in the Agri Committee, Um, and she also told me a little bit about uh, the implication of rejecting this proposal and why her group, the Socialist Group, voted. Uh, to to not reject it mm-hmm. and the fact is that according to her uh, doing this would now um, uh, effectively leave uh, the agriculture committee without an opinion um, mm. without any voice on the final draft mm-hmm. because we have to think that uh, the environment committee is actually the one leading on this on this file uh, but the agriculture and the and the fisheries committee uh, could have uh, had a voice or given, given their, uh, g- opinion. Give mm. their opinion. Give their opinion on this. Now this is not going to happen anymore. And the MV committee is actually set to vote on this same file on the 15th of June mm-hmm. before it goes to plenary on the in July. Right. Um, and and yes, yeah, so Clara was also not very optimistic about the outcome uh, in the MV committee. Uh, everything is now in the hands of Renew uh, since well the renew in agri and Pesh voted to reject the proposal mm-hmm. we don't know if the renew in the env committee is going to vote in mm-hmm. the same direction mm-hmm. um even though this ha- even though even if renew splits and the proposal passes in the env committee it's still going to be very very tight for the plenary right. to to have a final uh, yes so it all hangs on the renew kind of yeah kind Mm. of this was uh,
1: yeah clara's analysis Mm, oh it's very interesting Interesting. we'll definitely be following that more but that wasn't the only vote that we were interested in last week there was another vote also involving the environment committee but also will involve the agriculture committee i'll get to that um very tied together yeah yeah, it's a constant (laughs) it's this constant thing i mean i constantly feel pulled between the two of them on, on pretty much everything at the moment but so the european parliament's environment committee last week adopted its position on Another one of our favourites to revisit in the podcast: the EU rules to slash industrial emissions, uh, yeah. including from the largest farms. Um, so, like a quick, I'll see how I'll see how effectively I can do a quick uh, rundown of this. But basically, this overhaul of the Industrial Emissions Directive, or the IED, um, which was unveiled by the Commission back in April twenty twenty two, it aims to reduce harmful emissions coming from industrial installations. Now, the contra- like controversial point when it comes to agriculture mm-hmm. is. At what point does a farm become industrial? Now this is the whole contention all around this the whole time. How many units? How many units of you can get really technical with it, yeah. How <laughs> many units of animals, of cattle, of yeah. poultry, of pigs, um, you know, at what point the size of the farm becomes industrial and so therefore falls under the directive, mm-hmm. right? So uh of course, yeah, pretty contentious. Um now, the European Parliament's Environment Committee, as I said, adopted its position which, um, which, last week, which backed the Commission's proposal to extend the IED to include larger-scale cattle farming, including more pigs and also more poultry farms. It also included this um, interesting uh, point to make this t- to have a reciprocity clause as well. So anything coming into the EU would have to also uphold um, the same standards. But the point that's interesting here, I think, is that basically this position that they voted on is directly in contrast with the agriculture committee he voted their opinion in april um which they voted f- to not include cattle at all mm-hmm. in the in the directive now the environment committee has the competence on this but the agriculture committee has the competence on all parts that touch livestock anything to do with livestock so of course that left me thinking well We've got two opinions completely pushing in different directions. Classic. I mean, how does how <laughs> so? How does this reconcile when it goes to plenary? Yeah. I mean, that's the question. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that's a very, a very good question to ask. I put this to a European Parliament official who explained that it's a bit complicated. I had to. I was going through all these like procedures. You know, the rules of the committees, and I was like struggling to struggling through all of this. But basically, the committee sharing the competence can table their amendments directly at the plenary if the lead committee doesn't take their views into account in the main draft report, which is what's happened here. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that this is probably what AGRI, what AGRI is going to do. So depending on the decision of the committee's coordinators in June, they have to decide what, what they're going to do about this. But the chances are that when it goes to plenary, the Agriculture Committee can just will just table their amendments directly. So I think we're facing also quite a fight um on this one and the move from the environment Com- committee you know it had all kinds of very mixed reactions to this so there is a deeper story on this if you're interested on your active so do check that out and of course we'll be following the IED closely um, all the twists and turns of this tale <laughs> So for this next section of the podcast, we are going to take you a little bit back in time, back to the outbreak of uh, the Ukraine war. Um, So... Right at the start of the Ukraine war, there was a lot of panic about food security, whether there would be enough food. Of course, you know, the EU was a, a huge importer of foodstuffs, mainly cereals, grains, sunflower, things like that from Ukraine. Now, in response, pretty early on, uh, the commission granted these derogations, so exemptions, from um, inf- different environmental measures in the Common Agricultural Policy. Now, that included things like um, temporary exemptions on rules on crop rotation, the use of fallow land and um, ecological focus areas; so these are areas of land that are put aside for biodiversity. Now, the idea was that farmers then would be able to use this land uh, to produce crops and try and, you know, try and overcome this 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 deficit that everyone was worried about. Um, but did they? What actually happened with this? Now, it's a very interesting question because obviously this happened. So, the derogations were granted for twenty twenty two, but they were also extended into twenty twenty three. But there hasn't been much look back on the actual impact uh, that these measures actually had. You know, we haven't really seen a report from the commission. Um, So there's a big question mark. There were extremely controversial measures taken at the time. There was very staunch opposition uh, from NGOs, from scientists that said, no, this is not going to make an impact on food production, but it is going to have a huge, huge negative impact on biodiversity. So there's the little a little refresher for all of you. Um, Now, what's interesting is there might not have been a report from the Commission on this, but there has been this week a report that's come out on this. And actually, we spoke to Helmut Bercher-Schaden, who works for an Austrian environmental NGO, Global 2000. It's also part of Friends of the Earth, to talk a little bit more about uh, the findings of this report, about uh, these derogations and the impact that they had. Um, So, Helmut, what? maybe you could take us back firstly. What was the argument in favor of these derogations? Talk us through a little bit um, at the beginning of, of this and, and why these derogations were pushed through in the first place.
2: The argument was very reasonable. or It, it seemed to be reasonable. It was uh, 30% of the food, 30% of um, wheat is produced in Russia and in Ukraine. And when there is a conflict there's the danger of food insecurity in Europe. There's the danger of food insecurity outside of Europe, in North Africa. And th- in this case, uh, there is no use for ecological measures. There is no use for the Green Deal. So this was the line of argument. And as one of um, the scientists who really tried to to, 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 to dismantle this argument and, and show the commission what are the real solutions, uh, said, he said um, the, let, let me have just a moment, I want to quote him correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, what he said is, food security is a very appealing argument that plays on our most fundamental fears. And this was just what the agricultural lobby did. They said, there is a shortage uh, or there's the risk of food insecurity in Europe. Which never was the case, because and this is what we uh, showed in our analysis: um, there was no food insecurity, in, in, or there can be no food insecurity due to, the, sorry, can there can be no food insecurity due to the war in Ukraine? Because um, European Union is a net exporter of wheat, a net exporter of um, of, of livestock and the net exporter also of dietary products, uh, of, of dairy products, um, so milk, cheese, and so. And and, and therefore, this, this this was completely wrong.
1: So what was the actual impact then of these derogations?
2: Since um, the claims have been, we need these ecological focus areas to produce wheat, um, we want you to know first, is this uh, what they did? And we also, of course, um, looked at the arguments of science if producing wheat would be a per se a a meaningful solution and the answer was first no producing wheat is not the right reaction for uh, protecting the world against hunger in the global south and the second uh, thing that we found out because we looked into documents from the european union and we also asked the austrian government for uh, giving us concrete Figures of what has been produced in Austria on this ecological focus area. And in both cases, on the European level, the answer was that 40% of the existing ecological focus area had been used for production and had been given free for the use of pesticides, with one exception, and this was um, Belgium, as a Wallonie in, in, in Belgium. And uh, it's also important to say. Twenty-one member states used these derogations. There were six member states that did not. The other thing was we, we um, got the information that the main crops that have been produced on these areas have been corn and soy and sunflower. So not wheat and um, and, and and nothing that is really helping to to uh, feed the world or to to yeah. Feed humans. And, and and therefore, the the whole narrative of food security that was so strong and that was used in order to get these uh, derogations and this watering down of ecological measures in the common agricultural po- uh, policy, uh, these arguments have been wrong and misleading.
1: The report had a heavy focus on, on Austria where it was found that actually only 0.6% of the ecological focus areas that were used for production, that's 0.6%, um, had been effectively used for the cultivation of wheat. So instead it was up to 80 or even in some cases 90% that had been used for crops that were only used for feeding, uh, for feeding livestock, feeding swine, um, cows or poultry.
2: It's such a far-reaching measure that has been taken. it has been taken with within very few days and without looking into the impact but when we have years of time to do something that the whole scientific community is saying let's do this every normal human being sees that there is a need to protect our environment there's a need to do something meaningful against uh the, the climate change and to to protect or to to, to, to fight biodiversity loss. And and here there's such a big resistance from a certain spectrum of the political uh, landscape in Europe. And they asked for impact assessments, although we have an impact assessment. And say the impact assessment is not is not doesn't go far enough and they want more. Uh, but here it was able to destroy everything or it was possible to destroy everything within just a few days. In communication, not based on on factual arguments, and that is also not based on factual arguments in its policy itself. And, And this is, I think, a real problem, and this is what our fact check has shown.
0: That's all from us this week. Uh, so this week, the AgriFood podcast was brought to you by your Actives AgriFood team. There is Natasha Foot, Paul Andres, with the technical support of Evi
1: You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foot. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.